Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, wherever you are in the world. I am Russell Tovey. And I'm Robert Diamond. And this is Talk Art. Welcome to Talk Art. Well, how are you today, Rob? Today, Russell, is a momentous day for the podcast because pretty much since we founded this podcast, we've been planning on interviewing today's guest. And I am feeling like a pioneer because a pioneer is the only way to describe today's guest, as well as uh, groundbreaking and uh, pretty much essential and also incredibly influential because pretty much every artist we know, especially if they're queer and have you know been making paintings in the last decade or photography in the last, I don't know, four decades, has been incredibly inspired by today's guest, without doubt, without question. And we are speaking to him today from New York City, and um, it's actually just been his 91st birthday. Um, So happy birthday to our guest. Over the last, I think, like more than 60 years, our guest has been making art, and uh, predominantly through photography, but more recently through short films. And I think there's some crazy number of short films since 2015. It's something like over 40 or so, um, or 50 maybe, short films that he's made since 2015, and they are amazing. And if you do not know today's guest, you should. And you can buy some amazing monographs, but you can also explore online. But I'm so, so, so proud and so thrilled to welcome to Talk Art the one and only Dwayne, Dwayne Michaels. Michael. <laughs> that would be me. Hi, thank you for that wonderful introduction. <laughs> no, thank you so much. It's it's. Are we allowed to say that you are the oldest ever? I was going to say contestant, the oldest ever uh, guest on Talker at ninety-one. I'll take what's behind door number three. Uh, <laughs> I love being old. This whole farts thing that everybody has a problem with age. If you do it, if you do it the right way, it's fantastic. I have a great assistant named Josiah and another one named Tim. And we, every week we do something new that I've never done before. It's very exciting. I love it. I can't wait to see what I'm going to do this week or who I'm going to do this week. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Dwayne, 
I, yes. I was first introduced to your work by a dear friend of mine who's a photographer called Alyssa Cray, and she's currently the head of Tracy Emin's new art school in Margate. And um, her partner, Liz Collier, who's a documentary maker, they are both so inspired by your work and particularly Alyssa, like she's been making work for maybe 20, 30 years now, maybe 20 years. And um, you are literally the DNA of why she started to pick up a camera. And um, what's that like? Because you must have so many different artists who come to you and say like, you know, thank you, your work really inspired me. Yeah, I don't pay much attention to it because I'm only, I am literally only interested in what I'm doing today, this very moment. I love doing what I've never done before. I'm uncomfortable in my comfort zone. To do the same thing twice, I would find very depressing. Really, really, I like I like the the possibility of failure, and not knowing. And I have a number twenty-seven. You know, this week we're going to do a number twenty-eight. No, it's just you'll you'll learn more from your. I learn more from my mistakes than my this apparent uh, whatever. Blah, blah, blah. Successes. Successes. Yeah. yeah. So how, how, do, how do you, I mean, you sound like you, you are still incredibly ambitious and you, do, do you feel like you've made your best work today or you feel like tomorrow you oh, might suddenly uncover something? Not at all. I, no, I haven't made my best work. Uh, I can't wait. The next thing I'm going to do is my best work. I don't turn out a commodity. I turn out an idea. I, I thrive on, I have, I have no intellectual fat or ambition. Of course I have ambition, but there are people who are Mr. Ambition, Andy Warhol, ambition. I mean, that when the ambition is, you could touch it, it's palpable, it's in, it fills the room, that gets in the way. There's a wonderful book I highly recommend called Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind. And the idea is one must always be the beginner because when you do something for the first time, you give it great attention. And so if you're going to bake a cake or, you know, you drill your child's, and you half a cup of flour and then, ooh, three quarters a cup of salt, what the hell, you know. And then after you do it all, you just start throwing it in and, you know, you make it up. You make everything up as you go along, you know. Well, I love that about you. And I, I, I think there's an incredible quote that I've read of yours where it's, you say, pay attention while you're here. It's all going to go away just like yesterday yeah. did. When I say this is now, it's not now. The very essence of what we are. And you know what else? The I'll tell you a secret just between us. The, the, the uh, web telescope has completely destroyed me. The web telescope is just, I have been, you know, there are more galaxies and then there are grains of sand on our planet. I mean, do, do the math. I mean, it's just, see, I like magic. I like boring is when people say, oh, that is so boring. No, you're fucking boring. Only boring people are bored. It's a matter of appetite and energy. I hate young fogies. Yeah. <laughs> Talking about magic and about illusions and about the unknown, that feels like something that when people come to your photography, there's 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 series of works that really explore magic or explore spirituality or the unknown. And those are the works for me that have, have felt so exciting and fascinating and enthralling and fresh and very unique to you. When did you start wanting to explore the afterlife through your living photography? Well, it's, it's the whole package. I, I went to Russia when I was 26. I was working as a graphic designer at Time Inc. And the trip changed my life. I never went to photography school, thank God. You go to photography school, they've got to teach you something. What they teach you is the rules. So they teach you how to... 
And when I became a photographer, you could be Ansel Adams, great, Robert Frank, my hero. But that was that was the that was the menu. And I'm not Robert Frank or Ansel Adams. Why should I look like them? And and even when I would get to the gay issues, you know, I, I just wouldn't people say to me, they'll show me a picture, can I mention a name? By Bruce Weber of a really you know, beautiful guy. Wow. I said, what a beautiful photograph. I said, no, that's a beautiful guy. It's a very ordinary, straight. I said, if that was an ugly guy, would it be an ugly photograph? No, we are so, (laughs) we are so uh, dazzled, tricked into uh, beauty. Russia, this was a trip that you made that was a real career changing moment for you. Will you, will you talk about that and why that sort of defined your career going forwards? Yes, because I was interested in, I liked painting, I liked art. I was one of those kids who took art in grade school. And I went to art classes. I was very arty. I was very arty indeed. Oh, you're very <laughs> arty. People always say, well, your name should be art because you're arty. See, I, I, do these, I do these things. I go off on tangents. So, and there I was in New York. Uh, I had a, the Buddhists say, when the pupil's ready, the teacher will appear. And Going to Russia was my, my, I learned how to say in Russian, may I take your picture? So I asked Tom Lacey, I borrowed his Argosy 3, and I wouldn't take a light meter. Here's my whole education, Tri-X. When you're out in a bright sun, write this down, you're going to forget. You put the thing on top, you put the thing in 16, and you do it on 500. When the clouds come over, same outside, you leave it on 16, and you put it on 60. Never mind. I'm not going to go there. No, no, no. It's fascinating. But I, yeah. I, I'm really interested in why you said fuck the light meter. Why that was something that you were like, I don't need a light meter. No, because I I thought there there was a commitment. I would have I I would have to be a photographer. I couldn't fuck up. I couldn't take badly exposed pictures. There was responsibility, and I didn't want to be a photographer. I didn't want to do that. Change <laughs> my life was that I. I don't want to go into that whole story, but it, too much other things to talk about. But when I became a photographer, I thought, well, that's my, that's my secret of success. Write this down. My secret of success is you find something you love doing and get somebody to pay you to do it. I haven't worked, I haven't worked in 60 years. And the thing is, I work both sides of the room. There are those photographers who are very successful fashion photographers and they do business and they're art photographers, but I work both sides of the room. I, you know, I've done Paris collections for Vogue. I've done life covers. I've done synchronicity. I've done uh, Eskimos for uh, Esquire magazine. And I mean, I, you know, it's, it's wonderful. And I never knew what I was doing. And the other side of the room is I didn't buy the rules. I didn't realize that I had to be Ansel Adams. Or I had, I'm not Ansel Adams and I'm much cuter than Brisson. So, you know, so what photographs look like them? And also, I'm very verbal. I could do yes, you on are. Any subject. Yeah, and I, yeah. I love to read. You know, but can I, I ask you then, just can I, going back to Russia, what specifically was it that you saw or captured in Russia in photography that oh, made oh. you think this is where I want to be doing? Yeah, get rid of the word captured. That's a terrible word. You know, okay. You know, like, I photographed a lot, a lot of celebrities. I've never photographed you, either one of you. But... I really have, and I never captured anything. You spend, you know, half an hour in a room, a hotel bedroom with somebody, no avail, 
And, you know, you don't capture anything, you get an interesting picture. And the thing is, for, see, I like portraits that don't show you what somebody particularly looks like, but it's the energy. It's Well, for example, let me see. I was thinking, I photographed uh, Magritte, of course. Rene Magritte. I'll tell you that story. When I was in 1960, I, I looked, I was looking at Harper's Bazaar and I saw this amazing photograph. It was a nude woman, full page, and she's holding a mirror in front of her and she's reflected in the mirror. That's impossible. She's behind the mirror. How could she be in the mirror? So that contradicted. See, I don't want people telling me what I already know. I don't. I know what sunsets look like, tits look like, cars look. I don't want to know that. Tell me what I don't know. So I thought, how did he do that? And then I looked and I realized that's not a photograph. It's a painting by somebody. Magritte, Magritte. What the hell is that? And then see, I've taken advantage of everything opportunity. So then I I knew a woman named Liz Lowenstein, and she went to in London with her. To, her husband was studying with Lucian Freud. Lucian Freud? No. Yes. Yeah. The old man. No, the old man. Oh, Sig- oh Sigmund, Sigmund Freud. Sigmund. Ziggy to you. And uh, <laughs> and she said, well, I know somebody who knows Magritte. And and I thought, wow, I, I, I have a great friend, Fred. We were together for 57 years. We should talk about that. But anyway, so so I went and I wrote him a letter through and through this. And I went and I photographed him. But I took pictures in the manner of what he did. But I mean, for example, when I photographed, uh, oh, there's a wonderful comedian. Uh, he was on Kramer. Kramer, Kramer. What's his name? Kramer. Anyway, I don't want to waste my time on names. Kramer was the Seinfeld character, wasn't it? It was Michael Richards, I think. Michael Richards, yes. So I didn't do a headshotter. I did him in the manner what Kramer does. So he's sitting there and he's reading a book. There's an uh, empty glass. And he's got a bottle of milk, bottle. And he's reading the book and he's pouring the milk, but he's missing the glass. So the milk is going all over the table. That's what he does. That's shtick. It's amazing. Well, no, but you photograph Magritte. That's so well, yeah, wild. So where did you photograph him? You photographing artists as well seems yeah. to be a yeah. theme. Like you photograph René Magritte. You've obviously oh, photographed Andy Warhol, Joseph Cornell, Jasper Johns. You name them. What is it like to photograph artists? What does oh, that well, give I, you? It depends on the artist. I knew Andy rather well before he became Andy when he was that Andy. Andy was the most boring person in the world. Here's a phone call from Andy Warhol. Ring, 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 ring. Hello, hello. Oh, hi, Dwayne. Oh, hi, Andy. Uh, 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 uh. Dwayne, what's new? Uh, 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 uh. That's uh, Andy was a phone off the hook. And then, I mean, really, the most. Let's not talk about Andy. He's so boring. No, but let's talk about me. Let's talk about Magritte. Let's talk about Russia. Yeah. So wait, t- tell me yes, about so Magritte. Where Ru- did you photograph go back to Russia. Magritte? We need to go back oh. to Russia, actually. Go Where back to Russia, you? because that I just want to know, what did you see in Russia that Beautiful. made you... Everything. See, I want to be contradicted. I want to be amazed. These are my tenants. I don't want to be told what I ran there. So going to Russia, are you kidding? I took a train from Helsinki overnight to... Leningrad in those days, got Leningrad about midnight, and there was this, it was like a 1930s movie, and there was this huge car, like Huspani Huiso Suiso car, you know, big car, and I'm sitting in the back seat with this woman who was a Marlene Dietrich lookalike, she, and there, I, I, at midnight, 
Moss at Leningrad, this old car, this fantastic woman. Wow, that's an adventure. See, I think you have to have adventures. I love having adventures. What else can I say? Well, you came I, back from Russia and it changed. Oh, so I came back life. and yeah. I went. To, I lived in a village in a little tenement. And I went around the corner to an old Italian man who had a little uh, Italian store where they sold film and whatever. I gave him my film to process. I didn't know how to process film. What a nut job! And and then the pictures were good. And you know, I've got, I have good taste. Is this not a person of good taste? Of course I am. Thank you for answering. So then that was tasteless. So then I went and I began to print these pictures, but my pictures were like Dead Sea Scrolls and they, ro- they rolled up. I didn't know how to flatten them. And here's the, sec- the two big events of my life, going to Russia changed my life. And I, had, I never throw parties. I'm not, I'm not a party guy. And so somebody said, can I bring a friend? I said, sure. And so they brought this guy, and he was so bored, he was unrolling my photographs. And he said to me, these are good pictures. I'm a photographer. I have a studio. I never use it on weekends. Uh, I'll give you a key. And he did. So I, I went there every weekend. And little by little, I began to get more confidence. Uh, I've, oh, are you lucky? I'm very lucky. I'm the lucky guy. Things, you know, other people get hit by a car. I take a picture of it. <laughs> no, 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 really. And I can't wait to find out what I'm popping my head next. Okay, so there I was. I got back and, and I thought, well, that's great. Uh, and I decided, I don't know why I did. I decided to take, I like to do portraits. That was the limit of my imagination. My, but they were good. They were really good. And uh, And then I went on from there. New York Times would call up. People would call up and I'd say, yes, of course. Of course I'll do that. Can you photograph interiors? Yes, I photograph interiors. You've done them. Oh, yeah, I've done them. No, I didn't. I was lying through my nose. <laughs> didn't make a lie through their teeth. Lies through your nose are very, when you're lying through your nose, it sounds like this. That's the time I, I'm lying through my nose. This is me lying. Yeah, I could do it. Yeah, I could do it. Anyway, it's would I, Would I be right then in saying that the, the photographs that we see of Russia feel very street photography style, but from yes. the rest of your career, most of your photography has been very set up. You set up scenarios, yeah. you create stories, and you well, tell narratives. Yeah. Well, here's, what, here's why. You want to hear why? Yeah. No, I'm asking. You say yes. I say, okay. Here's why. Because, uh, I don't know why. No, because I have this <laughs> kind of imagination. Most photographers walk around the street with a camera looking for something to photograph. I don't. I sit in my living room and pay attention to my dirty thoughts. Uh, you know, and although I do gay things all the time, I did a wonderful photograph. I would never be Maplethorpe or body guy, but I f- did a photograph. It's, it's about a guy, naked guy, and he's got his hands on the wall from the back, and he has shoes, like work boots on his hands. And it says, um, I wrote, the unfortunate man could not touch the one he loved. It had been declared illegal by the law. So slowly his hands became, his fingers became toes and his hands became feet. And he began to wear shoes on his hands to hide his shame. It never occurred to him to break the law. See, that's editorializing. That's, it's about expression and you're expanding the expression. And I, then once I opened that door, I could do all kinds of, I could do dreams. I could be. When did you start writing text then on, on your photography? When was that a thing that you well, discovered? Right soon in the very beginning, because 
I found the photograph inadequate. If I showed you a picture of my mother, oh, here's an early one, picture of my mother, my father, and my brother. And they're all smiling, you know. It's a, it's a fucking lie. I mean, they, they didn't even like each other. They had to get married. My, they, my mother was knocked up. I did a little movie about it. It's called, oh, you should see that movie. Look up a movie called uh, the, the Rabbit Died. I hear that means somebody got is pregnant illegitimately. I'm, Ill, I'm a little illegitimate. Oh, right. Anyway, what was I that, That's a brand new film. That's, about... The Rabbit Died is this year. That's a brand new film. It's, it's a new one, a new yeah. movie. Movie. Oh, yeah. cool. So you were uh, talking what? about a photograph of you and your well, father. Letter, letter, letter yeah. from my father. Is it that one? That's it. That's the one. Yeah. So the thing is, so that shows you what the, if you saw that they put their hands around and smile. Lies, lies, lies. They, yes, I said they didn't even like each other. They tolerated each other. So the truth is not what they look like. They had their portrait faces on. My When I wrote, it says this. My father always told me that one day he would write me a very special letter, but he never told me what the letter would be about. And I used to try to guess what secret, what mystery would now be revealed, what, something we would share. I knew what I had hoped to read in a letter. I wanted him to tell me where he had hidden his affection, but he died and I never found that place. So it's one thing to show, but you cross, you, it's his expression, it's expressive. Somebody's talking to me about doing a new book, and I said, I want to do a book called The Expressionist because it's not about photography. It's about how well do you express what you need to say. And I've, I paint on photographs. I've done everything on photographs and um, has nothing to do with the, the genre, the category. It should be dictated by what moves you, what pisses you off. To say something honest out loud is such a pleasure. I love reading. I really love reading, and uh, and I love Beckett. I, I enjoy. It. I, but there's somebody who says one sentence. Oh, oh! I'll, here's what I wrote about. I've done a lot of things about time. Time is such a funny thing. It's like a hole inside a ring. It's always now and never then. But when I say it's now again, it's never now, but always then. I'm always here and never there. But when I go from here to there, then there is here and here is there. And if you think you're very tall, besides a, besides a tree, you're very small. And if you think you're very small, I'm not, besides a bee, you're 10 feet tall. When we dream, it seems we, we seem awake, but all along the dream was fake. You say you're I and also me. How can that be since I'm not you and you're not me? Time is not what you might think. It is and isn't in a wing. But um, mm, God, I love that. that. You know, Thank Dwayne, you. for me, your work always unlocked something when I was looking at it. And there's something about dreaming and almost like the the staging of your imagery that actually reveals the truth. So even though it's a kind of like a, a dream maybe, but I feel like when people dream, they often actually are telling themselves like what they don't tell themselves when they're awake. And that's a whole universe. I've done a lot of things about dreaming too, but we don't exercise all our muscles. It's like going mm. to a gym and just doing sit-ups. Oh, I, I, I'm writing something called, uh, I was a sexual flop which I think is very funny because people are always bragging about their sex life. Oh, you're hot, hot, hot. And, oh, you know, blah, 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 blah. This who and what and where and why and how. Me, I was sexual. My show didn't even leave McKeesport. Don't forget, I was born in 1932. So by 1938, we had sissies in our day. We didn't have gay people. We didn't even know what those were. And I think my uncle Bill was gay. Anyway, that's another story. I'm looking for something to amuse you. How can I amuse them? 
You're amusing us. You're amusing us. We're just crazy when, in love. When did you feel you were? When did you feel you were onto something? And did you have people like your peers telling you you can't write on photography, you can't do double exposure? These aren't you're breaking all the rules. Are you kidding? And I define photography in terms of. So when I had my first exhibit in nineteen, I know what seventy or something, of uh, sequences, uh, Gary Winogrand, who was the leading practitioner of John Tarkowski's philosophy of photography, uh, he defined photography. He was like Louis B. Mayer of photography. And Gary walked in and walked out, and he said, "What is this?" He said, "This is in photography." And I and I wasn't quick, but I should have. It's not your fucking photography, but it's mine. And the truth is, why do see photography is so accessible? It's the one thing we can all do. Everybody's taken photographs, so we don't expect so as much of it. And I've made demands on it, and I've you know I juggled all my photography balls, and uh, you know I mean and then you drop one, but that's great. That's I like surprises. Boo! Did I scare you? Boo! Yeah. You scared? <laughs> did you scared? Did that? Did you scared? Huh. I'm terrified. But having having Gary Winogrand at the time lead the exhibition like now in retrospect you're like fuck you but at the time was that quite an upsetting experience to have someone that you i, well, I guess did me, you revere him yeah am i not vulnerable if you count me do i not bleed of course i i'm very so you made me cry you naughty boy <laughs> but no really but that didn't deter me because i had enough confidence oh here's something i want to show you two things I'm on a, there's a wonderful, photo, wonderful photograph I did called, this photograph is my proof. It's my cousin Kenny and his new bride on, in my grandmother's house sitting on the bed, and she's sitting behind him, hugging him. And what I wrote was, this photograph is my proof. There was that afternoon when things were still good between us, and we were so happy. Uh, let's see. And she embraced me, and we were so happy. It had happened. She did love me. Look. See for yourself. So that's a nice picture of them. But it's what I'm saying is we now we don't even talk. Now we're fucking divorced. I can't even stand to look at her. But in the look at that, we once loved each other. And here's my proof. And I was 21. And I did have pecs. And I did have hair. Look. And I did have teeth, too. I had teeth in those days. And now they were white, not yellow. Anyway. Oh, I've got a better one. I want to read you. I'm much nicer than God. It's just, this is good, but I want to reach before I forget it. It says, it was when Dennis finally died that I was much nicer than God. I never would have let Dennis suffer all those months. I never would have let him what happy and, and be in pain. I never even would have invented cancer in the first place. But if it is true with I, with my petty greed and vanity are much nicer than God, then I'm in despair because somewhere there's got to be more love. I don't have enough for everybody. That's the idea. You know, so that's what it's about. I mean, I mean, your writing is, as, as well as what you're actually writing, your cursive handwriting, your text, when you see that, is so unique to you and so beautiful. Your line, your font is just genius. Can I get that in writing? Never mind. <laughs> I, love, no. I love handwriting. I love to read people's, I love letters I love to see signatures. I buy books of letters by 
Baudelaire, and, and just to see the, the, the quality, it's the graphics of the hand, it's drawing. I call my writing drawing. I draw letters. I don't write letters. Mm. So when I write on something, it's drawing. How did the sequences begin? Because oh. we, we, we interviewed a photographer called Sunil Gupta, who I think you might know. I don't know if you've ever met him, but he's amazing. And he made Whoa, 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 whoa. More amazing than I am? No. Oh, You're please. the originator. No, 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 no. You're I the OG. There is no more amazing than Dwayne Michaels. But he was inspired by your work, Chance Meeting, which is a kind Chance of iconic Encounter. sequence. I think it's called Chance Meeting. Or maybe it's no, Chance it? Encounter. Well, you know, Chance Meeting is the two guys walking down the street. Yeah, exactly. So he was really inspired by that work. And he mentioned it when we interviewed him. So how did that kind of body of work, you know, where you make these sequences where there's like a number of photographs that create... Oh. Yeah, but it's almost like one moment in time that's been kind it's, of uh, broken up into tiny particles. I love it. It's the decisive moment before and the moment after. And the moment, it gave me wiggle room rather than the frozen moment of somebody giving me the finger. I could do the next picture with me giving him the finger. But I mean, it frees all these writing sequences all freed me to express myself in any way I want. Uh, but I want to read this one thing, okay, uh, this is, it's called to, to Some Other Father's Son. I wish that I had been your mother's lover and that we had slept with one another on some summer's night so that I might claim of you the natural father's right. And the blood that pulses through your veins, I wish were mine the very same. And your strength that I can plainly see, I wish had also come from me would that you had issued from my fountain's joy, you sweet and sturdy smelling boy. But this is the harsh reality that like some phantom limb, you cast no shadow from my tree. Still, we had shared what you never had with him whom you had first called dad. And at this point of this brief now, I, it seems correct that I somehow be at your side so that I can point and show and guide what I need to give you do need to take. We share this living gift for both our loving sake. I love that. I think it's very sweet. Uh, don't bother of closet father. <laughs> I, I, I'm always rhyming nonsense. Uh, I love, oh, I wrote this too. It says the greatest, I'm complete nihilist. Uh, the greatest defense against common sense is nonsense. All these things have been to liberate me. And when I realized I could tell stories, for example, I looked at Balthus, you know, Balthus, the Swiss. And I, he had a wonderful painting at MoMA. I hate MoMA, but I used to go visit there all the time just to look at this painting. It's a street scene. It's a fake French street and everybody's artificially posed. They're, you know, like a guy's crossing the street with a thing on there, but it's all fake. And I was fascinated by that. So I took some friends to Brooklyn in an empty street and I posed them based on that idea. And it didn't work. And then I realized all I had to do was to animate them. The man, there was a man with a, like a Magritte man with an umbrella crossing the street. He should open the umbrella, walk across the street. A guy on a motor bike, motorcycle goes down the street and around the corner. Another, a woman is reading a newspaper and, and then they all walk away and the street's empty. 
that's what I, that's where I was going. I didn't see it. I would love to reshoot it now. It kills me every time I, but that's, it, so it was like latching onto that. And then I just began to make little, little dramas. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. But you've been more inspired by painting. You just mentioned Magritte. Balthus, uh, Giorgio de Chirico, painting has been your biggest inspiration more than other photography or historical photography. Well, I always love photography. <clears throat> I always love photography. That's my nasal lie. No, I always love photography. And, and then that I could actually do it. I just thought it was too technical or something. But I went, I'm a natural, you know, uh, as a photographer. I'm doing. I'm. I'm successful because I'm doing what I should be doing. It's like uh, when Mickey Mantle was hitting baseballs and hitting home runs when he was ten, and there were those people who were. Mozart was writing music when he was writing symphony when he was fourteen. You know, so there are people. I found my thing. I found what I should be doing, and I, I took to it, and I love. I'm very good at commercial work. You know, I'm not a fashionista. But uh, I love, can you imagine getting paid a lot of money to make beautiful people beautiful, beautiful women beautiful? I'm, what's the problem? Get out of here. You know, and, and this whole, there were so many bad fashion photographers that, that went around and tits and ass always sell, you know, you could do that. You, meant, you mentioned MoMA, but that was where your first ever exhibition was, wasn't it? Yeah. In like 1970. How, how did that come about? Well, uh, let me think for a minute. Oh, somebody told me you have to go see John Zarkowski. So I went to see him, and of course, I you know, he didn't Who's at he? all. Who was who was he? He was the big shot, the guy who ran. He was the Louis B. Mayer of photography. This guy whose ass you wanted to kiss. No, he didn't want. He <laughs> should. No, he no right. Let's not go there. But so what happened was, uh, he had an assistant named Peter Bernal, who was from MIT or someplace. A really smart guy, photography, and uh, he loved the work. And that you know, I had to trifecta. I, I got a book by Doubleday. A friend of mine was going to Zurich, and I said, I, I had my sequence, I said, camera magazines in Zurich. You're in Zurich, take the pictures. So he did, he took them, and they immediately gave me an issue, not a whole, but with pullouts. They did pullouts to do the sequences, and then after that came the MoMA show, and then Doubleday saw 
I mean, they saw the, the magazine with pullouts and they called me and said, would you like to do a book on that? And he said, oh yeah. No, no, it was just like that. Trifecta, one after another. That's amazing. Have you found the art world snobby at any point? Have you felt like it's not I wanting think- to let you in or... Oh, oh no no I, I didn't want to get I wanted to get in I wanted to be I want to be in a book someplace you know Debbie does Dallas oh I did a very interesting uh, gay thing I want to tell you about uh, there's a magazine uh, in um, Australia I think it was called blue B L U E or blow depending on which issue you got no but so they asked me to do something a portfolio so I said when you look in a book you see a photograph but you don't know how that photograph got there. So I did a story about a photograph. And it starts out with, uh, let me see. I forget how it starts out. But a guy comes and he buzzes my doorbell and he comes in and he goes into my little workroom and then I present my idea. I forgot what the idea was. And so I tell him the story. Then you see me set up and you see me take the picture and you see the variations. And then you see me go through the contact sheets and then you see me go through all, and then I pick this one. And then you see that's the ones published. So it's how that, it's the story of how a picture got on a page. And I, cause I look at photographs and I think, gee, what were the circumstances? How did that happen? There's a photograph I always loved. I thought it was so erotic and beautiful. It was in a, like a farmhouse and coming through a door was this young guy and he was on crutches and I think he was just in his underwear or something. It was so beautiful. And he, the fact that he was wounded, wounded perfection. I just, what do you think? Yeah. What was it like being a, a queer man uh, throughout like the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s and being a photographer? Was there stages where you felt like you had to, hide who you were or you felt like you were more confident to be who you were was it a really kind of scary at times situation to be in well no i wasn't really here's what happened in every category i'm i'm a anomaly i'm the surprise in the package not not at all typical so when i was in mckee sport we only had sissies in high school and in my senior year uh i fell in love with jack donahue and he fell in love with me and uh, but we didn't know what that was at all I had no idea what it was. I was dating uh, Sue Mathis. And, you know, I did, had no idea. And then uh, when I went to school, I, got, I did everything on scholarships and stuff like that. So I went to school in Denver on a scholarship by accident. Being an accident, they gave it to me. They had to. <laughs> <laughs> so then what happened was, little by little, I began to realize that I was in love with my, my friends. And I dated Helen McDonald. She thought we were getting married. Ooh, big mistake. And anyways, we're still friends. Uh, but little, then I came to New York and I went to Parsons. I didn't know where to go. I wanted to be in books and magazines and I thought I could learn how to, that didn't work. I dropped out, but I found I was gravitating. My friends, uh, we, nobody would admit it, but we all would look out the window, at a, you know, at a hot guy, hot, hot. And it just, I, I just evolved, but I never, I have nothing to do with it. It's fine, but I just, I'm not interested in drag. I don't think drag's funny. I went to Fire Island. I hadn't been there in like 60 years. I mean, a long time. I went there last summer. I was bored out of my mind. I was sitting around talking about gay talk, really, you know. Of course, I like to talk gay talk. I use me and he, you know, and stuff like that. But so I've, I've always been the out. And so I've also been the outsider in photography. It's just, 
When I was 14, I read in the local newspaper, my dad was a steel worker in Pittsburgh, in a little town. We had no, no social credentials. Oh, let me tell you this. There were two DNAs. My physical DNA uh, said I was Caucasian, I, I was white. I would be 5'8", my, my highest. I would uh, be skinny because I come from a slim family. And my social DNA said that we were Catholics. Dad worked in the mill, uh, you know, for free. Uh, I, I went to Catholic school. I dated Loretta Petrick. I, I, you know, I liked her. And predictably, I should have married Loretta, you know. But um, I didn't. So I just kept. And then I read you could go to Texas. So I went to Texas and with Jimmy Cunningham. And you could work on a wheat crop. <laughs> that was insanity. Took a bus and hitchhiked from... Amarillo up to the border. And, and, and at 14, you know, I was like five, seven, if I stood really tall and weighed 100 pounds. So I, all the migrant workers were there. And I went to this county seat where you had to go to get the job. And the guy said to me, listen, kid, you have to shovel wheat all day in the hot sun. You wouldn't last for 10 minutes. And then I was out sleeping outside on the lawn with all these migrant workers doing things I didn't know human beings could do to each other. And animals. Can you imagine? Oh, Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, yes, protect me. Uh, but I was saved because the last night there, this guy from uh, a high school teacher from California was there with his son. And they, they did this all the time. And they had a big station wagon. They were big guys. And they saw me sleeping on the grass. So they gave me a sleeping bag, and that helped. Anyway, it's been like that. Right. And yeah. I mean, I'm trying to follow that train of thought, but I, I, I love it. And I feel like you've been someone that has, uh, been proudly queer and has really made a big impact on so many photographers and so many artists in, in general. And does that feel, what does that feel like to know, like Rob asked at the beginning, to know that I, you are such an influence and do you like people telling you how much you've made them like rethink careers? No, no it's, it's nice. It's a novelty item and that's nice. But, you know, it's, I'm, that's not part of my, I don't think about those things. I tell you, when we do, we do work all the time and, Josiah will tell you that the only thing I really wanted was work on what problem we're solving, what thing we're doing. That to me is mm. the greatest exit. And it's nice. It's nice to have somebody say, I like your, you know, okay, good. I'll go do so it. Since, 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 since 2015, you've been focusing predominantly on short films. Yes. How did that come about? And can you talk about some of your kind of favorite ones? Have you got any special oh, film? Yeah. Well, oh, here, Josiah. You know, as I said earlier, when the pupil's ready, the teacher will appear when I needed help. I did everything by myself, and I would have an occasional assistant. I was very much a loner, and um, Fred died, and I was in disarray, and Josiah showed up. And Josiah said, we should make movies. And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, you know, this camera, we can make a movie. I said, get out of here. And we're the perfect match because he does all the computer stuff I can't do. But he, ah. he knows what to do. So we'll be working. And I'll say, gee, Josiah, why do we make that? Why don't we make that upside down? He said, okay, <laughs> upside down. No, really. And, and then he, he, he says, well, let's, let's, let's make the whole thing. I'm making that. Let's, let's, let's burn it down. That, yeah, we'll burn it down. No, he has liberated me. He, he does what I can do. And that's why, oh, we've made so many. I, I did a wonderful movie about Fred. It's called The End. It'll make you cry. Makes me cry. What else did we do? Oh, we do so many of them. We did about fifty films now. So your your partner Fred, did you yeah. work together as well? Was he was he a photographer? No, no. Was... He was an architect. 
he worked for Marcel Breuer and Skid, but we met at the gym. <laughs> I'm in such good shape because I worked out for 40 years. I've got a, I'm built like a brick turd. No, brick shit house. One of those. Things. <laughs> <laughs> <Is that effect? laughs> what is Yeah, she didn't shut up. Uh, anyway, but uh, we were, we were very much in sync. We, we both had a farm in the country and he, he did the, old farmhouse we had 175 acres near near from in bennington vermont and we evolved all relationships evolved uh, you might want to know this and that is that after the first seven years which is you know anywhere you will go i will go with you oh he called you know oh as a matter of fact we broke up and i was uptown and i was coming around the corner and he was coming around the corner chance meeting, we practically collided. And I remember I looked at him and I thought, oh my God, wow. It was like, ba-boom, ba-doom, 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 ba-boom, ba-doom, 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 ba-doom. It was fantastic. And, uh, and, but after seven years, you know, the nook of, every nook of, nook and cranny of each other's English muffin, you know, and, and, and so we worked it out and we had a nice relationship and we evolved and we had leeways and we had problems. But, and at the end, I would say the last seven years when he was dying were the deepest part of our relationship. I, I was totally marinated in him. Every morning was, did he poop? Does he have a rash? Can he stand up? You know, it was just completely, and uh, I couldn't cry I kept thinking, I bet I'd feel better if I could cry. And also my friends rallied around me. We had a great gay support system. I th- but when Fred died, I began to cry for an hour. I mean, I, I was tsunami. I could not stop. I, I, I kept thinking, I can't stop crying. I'm, I'm walking around the rooms, crying, crying, crying. It was just this emotions, my body and the tears took over. And... Uh, yeah, so that was that. But you have to uh, you have to see the end, really. Yeah, we will, we will. And when when did you make the end? Then is that more recent? What? No, about two thousand nineteen. I had a, a wonderful exhibit at the Morgan Library here, my favorite museum, and yeah. we just got it finished in time to show at the opening of the show at the museum. It was a very nice show. Let's see. Oh, look up Yort Y O R T, which is a nonsense. There were so many. Oh, look up. Are you still a faggot? Uh, I was about to the, say that was one I was going to mention because "Are You Still a Faggot?" is is amazing. Yeah, um, it's, can yeah, you tell us still, about that one? It's a it's about me as an old man and my uh, grandson or I forget comes in and uh, he's gay. To make a long story short, I told him, you know, don't come back until you're, you you go. I do this whole diatribe and I dump all over him about being a faggot. And at the at the very end. Uh, he brought me a gift. It's a lady's hat. And at the very end, when he leaves, I'm, you know, I'm really pissed and angry and all that. And I'm sitting there and I began looking at the woman's hat. <laughs> and I put it on my head and smile. <laughs> you have to see that. It's funny. <laughs> and what about um, Hobgoblin's Garden? Oh, yeah, that Hobgoblin's Garden. I went up to Maine to teach a class. And um, I said to the students, Friday, the last day of the class, I'm going to make a movie with you. So bring funny clothes. And we just, we did the thing in like an hour and a half and we made it up on the spot. It was, it was fun. Totally it was improvised. Fun. Yeah, totally improvised. And, but it, 
I told you I'm from a little town called McKeesport, which is a still town. I love McKeesport. I love Pittsburgh. I think it's an amazing city. If I would live there if I had some reason to live there. But and it's all falling down. I mean, the population was 55,000 when I left out 17. And it's filled with druggies and houses that are caving in and stuff. So two things are going to happen. One is I want to build a sculpture there. Uh, I've designed, it's called the McKeesport Pipe Palace. They used to make pipe, oil pipes in McKeesport, and it's going to be made out of pipes. And it's going to be in where we used to live. I want that to be a woods. And you'll see these, it'll look like Emerald City in Wizard of Oz. And, and it's going to be a destination. It's where, see, children need, children need memories. When I was a kid, I remember at night, the steel mills, the skies were always yellow from the furnaces and the smoke and the cooing, the, the, the drama and the praise. And uh, there's, no, there's no magic in McKeesport. See, you, children, you have magic and then magic becomes your memories and then memories become the myths, the myths that you live by when you're old. You say, remember the steel mills, you know? And so they have no magic. So I want to give them a magic and this is a place for them to go. And um, the only problem is it costs a lot of money, and I'm very bad about money. So uh, I thought about. What do you mean? What do you mean you're bad about money? You're not good at holding on to it, or? No, no, I, no. I just don't care about it. What has been one of your greatest achievements so far for you? Then, what, what do you look back on with your most pride? Hmm. Adventures. Everything's been adventure. Uh, when I went to Egypt, I did a book for a French publisher. I built my own pyramid. That's so weird. I have the page of that open yeah. and I was, you're psychic. And I, I'm literally right. about to say, I build a pyramid is one of my favorite works by you. That is so weird. Yeah, I know. And I thought Napoleon's soldiers went there and all this, everybody's photographed yeah. the pyramids, but nobody's built their own pyramid. And the reason <laughs> I did it was because when I was a kid, I used to build model cities. I love, I build model cities. In, in the country, I used to build model cities in our parking lot. And then people would park on them and I stopped doing them. But uh, no, I like to make little constructions. And I, I love the sequence of I build a pyramid. It's yeah. just genius. Yeah, I think, and it's kind of funny, it but it's funny. also really profound and deep yeah, because humor. of it's time humor. and history well, it, and all of these things. But with the real pyramids behind me, you see yeah, the, exactly, yeah. my pyramid, which is bigger than theirs. <laughs> <laughs> I think my, yeah, my favourite sequence is um, Grandpa Goes to Heaven and it starts oh, yeah. off and it feels quite an ominous photograph and there's a little boy and he's he's opposite yeah. the bed where there's this old man who looks like he's dead and suddenly the old man sits up and he's got like child wings like Tinkerbell on and it suddenly becomes very funny and he kind of climbs out the window and he waves back at the little boy and suddenly it becomes so beautiful yeah. and moving and friendly and like as a kid if you'd see them images you'd feel moved and inspired by them you wouldn't be fearful of death it's a really wonderful gift making that series well the thing about that series is that was a guy named lyman white when fred and i first moved to the country in our little local news perform newspaper there was a wonderful letter to the editor very liberal very democrat in a republican area by a guy named lyman white and i always remember that name then years later somebody said to me that uh they live next door to Lyman White. I said, "Whoa, Lyman White!" Did he? And and then I used to when I I did something called the four the seven ages of man. He's in that too. So when I used Lyman in that picture, uh, he uh, said to when I when we showed the he loved that series. That was his nephew, a little boy. And when when Lyman died, they showed the little boy that 
photo, that series, and the little boy loved it. You know, yeah. So if straight photographers photograph death, they'll photograph women crying, funerals, corpses, you know, that sort of thing. That, those are the facts. That, that's not, that's not the, um, it's not what death feels like, it, what it looks like. And I always think you should photograph what something feels like, not what it looks like. How often do you write? You know, talking to you in this interview, we've talked about photography, but I felt like we've sort of skirted around photography and we've really gone in depth with your, your text and your, your yeah. short stories and your poetry. How yeah. often are you with a I notebook making? almost on a daily basis. If I think of something, I'll immediately write it down. I go into it. I, I, I like, like we'll, we'll be doing something and Josiah will say, we should write a few lines with that. And I love that. I write more than I take photographs, actually. And um, Yeah, it seems like it. It seems like it's, 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 about, it's about a real, real passion for you. Yeah, It's about expression and saying something out loud and, you know, saying I love you or I don't love you. I miss you. I don't miss you. I don't know. It's it's that's what being alive is all about is feeling, not describing mm. feeling. Anyway, you know when you did the overpainted photographs, yeah. there's a series where where you have like three people, so there's three women, three men, and then it has text oh, yes. painted on top. Yeah. That series I was so fascinated by because it's so modern and so kind of like I'd never seen it before. It's like such a odd image but it's so sort of futuristic at the same time can you explain that because i, I love the ones where they say like bye bye same bye but yeah but it's all like completely different meanings it's about how we we talk but we don't understand each other we make there's such confusion he says i love you and he thinks he's getting fucked and she, and she thinks she's getting married i mean so there's four three men saying the word bye but it's three versions of bye and the other three words are Three women. Two, two, and two. Two, two, and two. So if I find anything interesting, I'll, uh, yeah, I'll write it. I'll do it. It's just, I, I have no inhibitions. I think I for people listening to you, Dwayne, that they're going to be really inspired that you have really been affirmative in the fact that you are a self-taught artist and you've had yeah. this incredible career and this massive impact on so many people, and you taught yourself. And you've always been very proud. And I'm sure at the time when you were making art, that was a period in history where there would have been a snobbery against that, that you hadn't gone through the academic routes to get to where you are. But that is something so brilliant for people to know. No, I, I didn't travel, travel in snobby crowds. I, I mean, I did, we didn't circulate like that. I didn't need the kindness of strangers to do what I wanted to do. I was very much my own person. It never occurred to me to say, what do you think of this or whatever? I just did what I did. And, and I amused myself as usual. And I found myself uh, very much touched by certain feelings. And if nobody else felt it, so what? I mean, it's, it's, that's their problem. I don't think about things like that. I could see why you would ask those questions, but they're not relevant. There's a well. You talk of what you just You've said. Been told there's us. an amazing uh, <laughs> quote of yours where you said, "I'm not jumping on any bandwagon. I've always been my own parade." <laughs> That's good. That's that? yours. Write <laughs> well, that down. <laughs> and I just want to share this one photograph because it's I love it so much. Okay. Uh, I'm driving down the road in the country, and I in the, in the distance I can see yellow, and I thought, "What the hell's that?" And so. I came around the bend, and it was a field of sunflowers. Oh, wow. So, Beautiful. This is the, one of my favorite country models. And I, it, what I wrote said, 
Van Gogh carried a ladder into a field of sunflowers, leaned it against the cloud, and climbed to heaven. That's nice. That's beautiful. Isn't that beautiful? Oh, yeah. So we, we ask every guest two questions, Dwayne. Oh. The first is, if you could do an imaginary art heist and take home any artwork from around the world, what would you take and why? Oh, I would take Hieronymus Bosch's uh, Garden of Earthly Delights. And why? I love because that. I've seen that in Madrid. It's stunning. It's everything I admire in an artist. It's imagination. It's contradiction. It's beautifully painted. It's theatrical. Uh, this is theater right now. It's theatrical. Uh, and it makes me want more. It, it whets my appetite and my pants. <laughs> <laughs> what is your favorite color, Dwayne? Blue. Why blue? Why not? I don't know why blue. Because uh, it's just the sky's blue. And every now and then I get blued. That what? code is coded. As you get the code, you break the code. Yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah, yeah. yeah. What, what is, what is uh, the yeah. best advice you've ever received when it comes to your art? Uh, oh, that's really good. We'll hire you. No, I don't. I don't care about selling work. Uh, I, I, this is what I've missed actually, because my father and I had a difficult relationship. We didn't have a relationship at all. I'll tell you one last story about that. When he was very sick, I went back to McKeesport to the hospital to see him, and we had our usual silly conversation. You know, don't don't pinch the nurses and blah blah blah, and get better. And and I'm thinking, well, I'm le- I'm leaving now. I should say, you've been a great dad. I love you. Blah, blah. And I'm on the plane. And I thought, what's wrong with you? Why didn't you tell him that? Why didn't you? And I said, I know he didn't say it to me either. We had never shared that. We never had that relationship. I would have loved if once my dad or an older man put his arm on my shoulder and said, gee, Dwayne, that's really nice. I like that. Did you do that? That's really good. Never, never, never. No. So I'm good at doing that putting my hand on my own shoulder and telling me how good I am. <laughs> so you you give yourself advice or yeah, yeah. yeah, pat you pat yourself on the back. The big thing is do it. And don't be afraid of failing. Failing is a reward because you can as I said, you'll grow from failure. But if you do the same thing, the same picture over and over and over with variation, you know, you're turning out a product. That's why I don't like the art world. It's all about business and art personalities and really uh, I showed a Sydney Janice for a long time, and there was a painter named Robert Ryman who did white on white canvases forever ad nauseum. And so I was having a show, and uh, I said, well, "What's the next exhibit?" And he showed me it's somebody else was doing white on white canvases. I said, "Oh, what's the difference between this white on white and that white on white?" He said, "This white on white has thirty layers of white paint. Thirty, not twenty-nine." You know, his personal best was actually 28. Now he made 30. What do I care? I mean, you have to be touched. You have to. It's not about making it. I hate big photographs. All those guys who do those big you know, like parking lots in Tokyo, but they fill up the side of a building. The art world loves them because they look like art, art paintings. Paintings have to be big. I love intimacy. I love Mickey Rooney, Toulouse-Lautrec, small people. <laughs> You've met so many artists then. You just yeah. talked about Robert Ryman. And who has been 
the most kind of fascinating uh, artist you've ever met? Oh, a couple. Uh, Magritte, of course. De Chirico. Oh, wow. Salt Balthus. I photographed Joseph Cornell. I photographed my favorite artist. But with the with De Chirico, I was so intimidated by him. I I didn't I wasn't functioning because I what do you tell it to sit over there you know please uh, and then one night there's a restaurant Robert Frank who's my favorite photographer was in the restaurant with his wife and he asked me to have dinner with them and I said no people said are you crazy why did you say I said what am I going to say to Robert Frank you know you're good well great nice big good <laughs> terrific I mean how do I talk to see I'm full of myself. I'm like a stuffed cabbage, and and what if I what if I went there and they had stuffed cabbage on the menu? What would I do? I'd have to order it <laughs> and photograph it. No, but <clears throat> what could I possibly say? It's like sitting next to Einstein. You know, you're smart. You're yeah, smart, very smart. Yeah, I, I'm intimidated by that. Believe it or not. You know something that I've really loved in your work as well is the kind of cycle of life, and I feel like you're very prolific work over the past 65 years um, really does cover so many aspects of what it is to be a human and the kind of life cycle like even your very famous photo like the seven ages of man where you've gone from like a baby all the way to the grandfather and you've got all these different kind of guys uh, you know that kind of like journey or things like the illuminated man yeah. where you've got the kind of spiritual element that's too what, that's what I, I did kundalini for eight years and it got, it got out of hand it was taking over so I stopped doing it. But when you have illumination, you vanish. That's it. That's really about illumination. You know? And illumination is when you take a poop <laughs> and turn into white light. <laughs> well, on that note, <laughs> which is a great way to, uh, well, if, to if wrap to New, up here. If you yeah. come to New York, do come, come by and we'll talk and I'll take your picture. Oh, that would be amazing, Dwayne. Okay. That would be so amazing. It'd be a real honor to do that. And for everybody listening... Dwayne, do you, do you know if you have an Instagram? Do you have an Instagram account? Is that something that people can find you on? Somebody took my name, so I am the Dwayne Michaels. There's a Dwayne okay. Michaels and the, I'm the. And, All right, uh, we'll follow you. And for everybody you're the one and only. For everybody <laughs> listening, go to at the Dwayne Michaels and then also go to at TalkArt and you can see images of all the works we've been discussing today. And also there's an amazing Vimeo channel, Vimeo. which has um, which has loads and loads. I think something like 51 or 52 films that Dwayne's been making, which is just vimeo.com forward slash Dwayne Michaels. And honestly, it's such a wonderful experience. You can you. watch all these short films and they're incredible. Not- and also there's so many books, but one of my favorite is called The Essential Dwayne Michaels, which you very kindly posted to us maybe a year ago mm-hmm. and signed to us. So thank you for that beautiful book. I think it's from like... 2009 maybe it's quite an old book it thumbs it's, up. it's beautiful thank you so yeah. much well everybody listening we love you Dwayne this has been brilliant and you've been incredible Dwayne thank you so much for coming <laughs> no I am about. flattered I think I'll go look at myself for a while <laughs> <laughs> you should you're looking you're looking hot Dwayne you should definitely go and check yourself out oh love that <laughs> we'll be back very soon thanks for listening Take care. Bye. bye bye You've been listening to Talk Art with Robert Diamond and Russell Toby. Follow us on Instagram at Talk Art, where you can view images of all artworks discussed in today's episode, with music by Jack Northover. Subscribe to Talk Art at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. Give us a rating and write us a comment. Thanks for listening.
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.